Hello, Signal Boost listeners. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. After five years on SiriusXM Signal Boost, hosted by Jess McIntosh and me, we ended our run. We got to bring you so many guests through this podcast, and we appreciate you spending your time with us. I'm delighted that we've relaunched the show as Mornings with Zerlina. More of the news, conversations, and explorations you enjoyed on Signal Boost, of course, plus new ways to engage with you, our listeners, such as calls during the live show, 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time, weekdays on the Progress Channel 127. My partner in feminism, Jess, and I are still very close. We are still friends, but she is out there fighting the good fight for progressive politics and might even pop up for an interview or two on the new show. And of course, Professor Eugene Maxwell fans will be glad to know your favorite biologist and my dad will continue to be a regular guest on Friday mornings. I'll be excited to share all of his future appearances with you. I'm excited as well. And I'll be able to share my favorite Mornings with Zerlina segments and interviews with you here on the podcast. Now stay tuned for the Mornings with Zerlina podcast. The vicious voices of the right are out in full force. And it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with change makers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining me now is Fred Joseph, author of the brand new book, Patriarchy Blues. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? <laughs> good morning, Zerlina. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I'm all right. People are asking me that this week. And one of the things I've been saying a lot is like, it's hard being a black woman in this particular moment just because... After Buffalo, it was like, okay, so we started the month losing our bodily autonomy. Um, Then uh, we watched our grandmothers get killed in the grocery store and our, you know, our uncles, like people that look like our family. And it just feels a little bit like, you know, with COVID in the backdrop of all of this, very dystopian. So I'm okay, right? But the world is a big old mess right now. How are you? (laughs) You know, um... (laughs) It's interesting because I had said I was I was in Toronto, actually, when um, the shooting in Buffalo took place. You know, obviously, Toronto is not too far. Mm-hmm. I was visiting and it was the first time, I think, in maybe legitimately about two years that I felt like I rested for even 10 minutes. Right. Mm-hmm. Just by the nature of being black, the things we talk about, the things we write about, the things we focus on. Um, and this this white person when I had tweeted, I was like, you know, um, maybe five minutes from I'm like, laying in a patch of grass resting. And then a few minutes later when the shooting happened, I said, never mind. you know, there goes that, you know, this is black in America. And he, he messaged me, he's like, I feel like this is insensitive. You're not really thinking about it. I'm like, you don't have any clue like what black people deal with in our soul and in our bodies on a regular basis, right? To be like policing, like the way in which I'm responding to any mass trauma that takes right. place you know it's really interesting it's uh, so i guess all that to say um i'm tired <laughs> i'm tired too i was thinking that this way i was like why am i more tired than usual today and i think it's it's because and and you said it you, we feel it in our souls it's not it's not just like um you know like 
oh, I feel bad because there have been some tragic news events. No, like the my humanity and my dignity, my literal personhood is being questioned from every angle um, and attacked violently. Um, that that has an effect on the soul. So so let's talk about the patriarchy, because I think for for a lot of folks, um, you know, who were listeners regular listeners of signal boost when when it was me and jess you know like we we were talking about the patriarchy all the time but for anybody who's new (laughs) to the morning show i mean how do you define sort of the patriarchy and how it manifests and why did you want to from the perspective of a black man really dive into this because this is not something black men talk about they completely ignore it as if there is no sexism there is only racism (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i define excuse me i define the patriarchy um in all of its manifestations right so it's you know misogyny misogyny noir sexism toxic masculinity um but then i think that the important aspect of it that a lot of people also forget is transphobia Mm -hmm. homophobia right Um, and rape culture um you know so so i i look at the patriarchy through its various tentacles i suppose as opposed to just kind of this high level broad stroke of a word um what i actually try to do is like assess what constitutes and builds the foundations of this system right i mean and i think the bigger part of of it all really is like like colonial white supremacy right like and that's the funny thing a lot of people especially you know in communities of color don't want to address um especially amongst men don't want to address patriarchy but to 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 uphold the patriarchy is actually inherently to uphold white supremacy yeah i mean one of the things i think a lot about when it comes to engaging more black men in conversations about about misogyny misogynoir and just like getting them to see how how they are oppressors in some instances, even though they are also being oppressed. Like, I I think that the resistance um, is sometimes uh, rooted in the desire to oppress, like white men. Um, but but sometimes it's an ignorance. So so how do you sort of differentiate between um, those two positions? Like there there is there are some black men who. Um, you know, there's a lot of like YouTubers and other, uh, I would say like, quote unquote, like hotepish, I don't, for lack of a better term, <laughs> um, uh, sort of branded folks, uh, on the internets, um, who sort of per- perpetuate this type of, of black masculinity, um, that sort of is in, in line with wanting to oppress like white men. And then there's folks who just like are ignorant and they don't realize this is happening at all. Um, so, so let's break down those two sort of distinct groups here. Yeah, I, I think that the people who want to oppress like white men are, you know, quite frankly, the most capitalistic in our society and in our community, right? They, they see that there's a gap to fill in taking the place of like, okay, well, I have proximity to this group and I have power over this group and this is how I can build myself up. And I, and I think that those are um, ironically, you know, um, there was a guy who, who passed recently. I, he's not even worth me mentioning his name. Yeah, right, right. I didn't mention it. That's why I just said sort of like on the internet. Yeah, 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 You know, yeah, we don't exactly. have to. Yeah, because there's, and there's plenty of others, you know, similarly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that these people, they they see firsthand the, the power 
of, of oppressing black women. There's a lot of power in oppressing black women, right? Like there's, you know, th- th- there, there's access that it provides also in white spaces, right? And I've, and I've seen it, right? Like, it's like, oh, you're willing to, um, meta, you know, uh, emotionally, mentally, physically beat down a black woman, welcome to the club, right? Mm-hmm. Um, times, um, and that's not just amongst other men. Sometimes it's also um, with their partners who aren't black women, I've seen that happen. Right, um, you know, allowing their, you know, the white wives that they marry and things like that to um, speak down on and speak ill upon, you know, black women. Um, but then, but then I think to the other group that you're talking about, and and I think this is kind of the group I'm more aimed at yeah. in my book. Um, a lot of people just came up in this society and really don't know any better, right? Like. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I and I think that that one of the failures, um, in my opinion, of our society is that we don't have a society that's focused on continuous learning. We barely have a society that's focused on learning in the first place. But, you know, <laughs> continuous learning um, as, as we get older is important because we always have room to grow. And I think that that's what led me to write Patriarchy Blues. Right? It was like at some point. I was able to identify probably in my like early twenties that, you know, we're in this heteronormative society. I'm like, okay, so I'm not only, you know, a black man, but I'm a cis black man. I'm a heterosexual black man. And I started unpacking what this means. And I started having conversations with the men around me. And I was just like, oh, we, we, we are getting this wrong. Right? Like, <laughs> and, and so, you know, those conversations evolved into me jotting things down and, and then eventually years later, just actually saying like, I'm going to write a book. Um, but I, I think the one thing about the book is it's not just, and, and, I, and I said this in a tweet yesterday when I, when I announced the book or whatever, it's not just even the beneficiaries of patriarchy. It's also a lot of times the people who are oppressed by it, right, who are upholding it as well. And I, and I tackle that group as well in the book. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's so complicated. Um, one of the things I, I've talked to um, writer Michael Denzel Smith um, about before is, is what you're talking about, sort of that when men have that realization where they look around and they're like, oh, like, we, we believe some messed up stuff like, whoa. Um, and a lot of that came to the surface during the sort of not the beginning of the Me Too movement, because I, I, I think the beginning of that is when Toronto Burke created it. Um, but when the Harvey Weinstein article came out in The New York Times um, and everybody was like, oh, you know, you you can't act like this at work. I was surprised by that, you know, that information. Um, and people were yeah. sort of processing, um, you know, what sexual harassment and assault means, what it is, how it how it shows up, how many people were impacted by it. Um, and one of the things Michael said at the time is that a lot of men were having sort of a very defensive position and in, in response to it because instead of you know survivors are saying like me too i have been i have been victimized but but men listening to these stories and reading all of these anecdotes and tweets um were were saying me too but on the other end like they hear themselves reflected in these stories they have done these things they have done they have behaved in this way they have treated people in this way and so part of the defensiveness came from oh i've done that does that mean that i'm 
I'm an abuser. I'm an I'm I sexually harass someone. So um, talk about the ways in which like just even the past five years um, have changed the way men have conversations and start at least like you did to question some of the things that they're raised with because it's messed up. We got to do a bunch better job. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting because I, I was, I was lucky, I suppose you could say. So my, my father wasn't around. I was raised by my mother and grandmother. So I didn't have, you know, some of the deeper forays into like those like moments. <laughs> um, of like, yeah. I would just, you know, baseline. I'm just like, Oh, this is all really messed up. But thank God I was never like on the street cat calling things like that, whatever. But I, I think that the conversations changed a great deal um quite frankly still led by black women even for black men because I, I saw a lot of black women who were leaning into womanism leaning into intersectional uh you know feminism and and I think that with um I wouldn't even call it the last five years I would actually call it probably for me the last like two years I've seen a change is since um you know the the quote-unquote rape racial awakening of 2020 summer. <laughs> yeah, we, we all sort of put the quotes around it now. <laughs> right. I think since that moment, people started following people that were outside of their comfort zone at the very baseline, right? And I think men were doing it somewhat too, right? Following more Black women who were talking about uh, George Floyd, talking about Breonna Taylor, talking about Ahmaud Arbery, so on and so forth, Tony McDade, X, Y, and Z, um, and all these people that we've lost. And I think that when you started following people for one reason, right, you're following these Black women mm. because they're talking about racism, you're also, if they were intersectional, uh, intersectional enough, you were also getting, like, you know, for lack of a better term, the good word on intersectional feminism, right, and like on rape culture and all these different things. So I think that that was actually the moment when I started seeing even some of my friends like, hey, so I'm following somebody about this <laughs> and I'm hearing about that. Right. Like, cause it was, it was like, even, and I think that a lot of those women did a great job. I think of, you know, uh, friends like Raquel Willis. I, mm -hmm. I, I think of, you know, people um, who are actually in the trans community. I think of, you know, uh, my dear friend, uh, George Johnson and all these mm -hmm. writers and, 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 brilliant people and they were like, yeah, it's not enough for us to be talking about racism. We have to also be talking about the fact that like, you know, Breonna Taylor is a black woman who was murdered and she's getting less airtime mm -hmm. because she is a black woman. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where, it, you know, a lot of it kicked off for a lot of people. I mean, it's, it's been fascinating to see the evolution of these conversations and even the fact that men are having them. I think part of part of what you talk about in the book is a lot of this is ingrained and, and you know, you don't even really question it because it's like the water. We're all swimming in. Um, one of the mm -hmm. things that you do in the in the book that I think is cool is you use the matrix um, uh, to examine the ways um, our, our racist and sexist power dynamics. Like, talk about that because I I I I love uh, sci-fi. I love dystopian fiction. I love mm. um, I love art that can teach us something about like that can actually teach us something um, as opposed yeah. to just art for art's sake. So talk, talk about that um, essay in the book. Yeah. So, you know, in the beginning of the book, I, I, I use the matrix as this analogy for um, our society. Right. And, and funny enough, um, the matrix actually was this like metaphor analogy for the creators the Wachowski sisters 
who ended up, you know, at the time that they made the Matrix, they were the Wachowski brothers and they, they transitioned. Um, and, and that's a funny thing right there. Um, and ironic, I'm sure they did that on purpose. But, but the way I view our society is that like, it's all around us, the, the, kind of what I call the big three, uh, white yeah. supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, right? Yep. It's everywhere. It, it seeped into this conversation. It seeped into the power dynamics at work, the power dynamics in our household, the power dynamics of social media, the algorithms, all these different things, right? And when you begin to pull back the layers, you also, if you look in the mirror, can see how it seeped into every single part of who you are as a human being, right? Because it's been designed that way, generation after generation after generation. You know, something as simple as an exchange where I live in a solid neighborhood, I'll, I'll say, and 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 you know, for the most part, um, nothing over here happens um, to my knowledge. But the, the neighborhood is predominantly white, so the most shocking thing was you know me being black and moving into the neighborhood. And um, <laughs> sometimes, um, to, to, you know, in this matrix, I'll let's say walk home and have like. My, 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 my hands in my pocket about to pull my keys out. And this one time I was walking and this white woman, when she noticed I was walking behind her, it was the middle of the day and I had my hands in my pocket, she started screaming, right? Um, like thinking I was gonna do something. I pulled my keys out and I shake my keys and she starts like apologizing, oh my God, I didn't know. But right there, there's so many dynamics, right? Because in that moment, what you had was her history in potentially rape culture and all these patriarchal existences. And I have mine in white supremacy right. and all these existences, right? And I think that that's where we get that moment of like, we have to all peel it back, right? And if mm -hmm. we don't do that, we're gonna destroy each other. I mean, I think it's so true about, because on the one hand, I can relate to her experience, but I can also relate to yours. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I think that like, you know, the more that we actually kind of stop and do what you did and be like, wait, look at what's happening here. Let's think about what's happening here. Why are we reacting in this particular way? We'll probably be better for it. I mean, as you reflect on what happened in Buffalo, I mean, I think when we talk about toxic masculinity, there is a difference between how it manifests um, with not all. We're never talking all. We're never trying to generalize. But I think... When I, when I think about toxic masculinity as it relates to, like, white men, um, I'm, I'm thinking more in line of the violent spectrum, right? Which the mm -hmm. far end would be what happened in Buffalo. Um, maybe another part of the spectrum would be, like, fraternity parties or, you know, rape culture mm -hmm. um, on campuses. Um, but black men, they are not, like, mass shooters. Like, they don't commit like, – they're not – they're – it's different. Um, it manifests differently. Um, and I, I've been thinking about that um, as we've been talking right now because I'm, I've been obviously processing a lot of what happened over the weekend. So when you think about the distinctions between, um, you know, how masculinity um, shows up in a toxic way, I mean, how, does it, how is it distinct between different types of men? Because it, it's not all the same. Yeah, I mean, I think that all men, especially in the U.S., fall on a spectrum of power, right? Um, and if and if you call it a one through ten, um, you know, depending upon the situation, we can argue that maybe a black man, um, in the grand scheme of things, like when he walks out the door, might be at a at a at a five, let's say. But a white man who has access to the most power in this country, like a white man, is at the is at the pinnacle of power, especially if you are a cishet. Judeo-Christian yeah. white man. They have yeah. all the power that this country um, has to offer. And and I and I am also I oftentimes think of the character.
character of uh, Bigger Thomas and Richard Wright's native son, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, Bigger um, was working for this white family. And, um, you know, for those who haven't read it, he ends up sleeping with a white woman. And, you know, he, he panics that he's going to get caught. And this is taking place in the 50s. So he kills the white woman, right? He, he commits violence against the white woman because he's scared of the violence that's going to be perpetrated against him and his black body by the white father for sleeping with the black, I mean, with the white daughter. So he ends up murdering her. And then he is so he is so anxious and so um, uh, vexed in the things that he's done and so angry at the society that throughout the book, the only other person he takes violence out on consistently is his black girlfriend who he won't even acknowledge that he cheated on with a white woman, right? Because that's the only power that he has in society at that time, right? Mm-hmm. And we've been taught since I think the plantation is that power lies in the oppression of somebody else. So if you want power, if you feel powerless, that means that you have to oppress somebody else. And that, again, to the point of the matrix that I was saying earlier, Mm -hmm. is what we all need to erase in our brains. Like somebody doesn't need to be oppressed for you to feel like you're powerful. You're already powerful. You were born powerful. It has nothing to do with anyone else. So, you know, I think that 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 analogy is what happens with Black men often is that, no, we don't have... Um, access to as much power and and quite frankly, as much systemic violence outside of our households, Mm. but it manifests in our households, right? We take it out on our partners. We take it out on our children. We take it out on our families. Sometimes we take it out on our friends. We take it out on the people in our communities. And, you know, and I think that that's why it's so important that we be talking about all these things in conjunction, right? We can't just talk about white supremacy. We have to also talk about patriarchy. We have to also be talking about uh, capitalism as well, because even that mindset that I was talking about really does like, you know, come off the plantation directly from capitalism. I mean, we I think that it, it, it's so fascinating and also comes in a moment where Kendrick Lamar just dropped a new album. And one of the things I was thinking about over the weekend, because um, uh, he had a new video out where he uses the sort of technology um the deep fake technology to transform his face into five black men and i think in a lot of ways it, it, it um mr morale and the high steppers is the name of the song by the way if you wanted to look this up um yeah. in, at home um but but one of the things i think that he's trying to get us to do is to sort of look behind sort of like the headlines of or what we think about these particular black men um and acknowledge that like the world that they exist in um you know like has harmed them i mean it's harmed all of us um in in these you know a lot of different ways i mean can you speak to you know how art like that can help us at least have this conversation i i don't think i i hope people didn't miss at least part of the message messages in in some of kendrick's new work um but i i at least you know am encouraged by the fact that that could you know make a conversation at the barbershop more in line with what you're talking about, right? Get people to sort of enter um, into a conversation about masculinity, masculinity more broadly because of Kendrick Lamar um, or even your book, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, art has always been the language of revolution and change, right? So you have to lead through the arts um, because that's how the conversations begin. So I think that it's important um, that Kendrick did that um, but I, I think that it's interesting because I, I, the video, you know, you're talking about uh, the heart part five, the, the video I came out and I was 
awestruck, right? I'm just like, you know, I, I historically think that Kendrick's a, a brilliant, brilliant artist. But then I will say that it begs even further conversation when the album came out because he had, you know, a, you know, accused rapist on the album and, and Kodak Black, right? So it's kind of like, this is where conversations are important because it's like, okay, what does it mean that you're reflecting on the pain that black men have gone through in our society and the necessity of healing, but also you won't hold accountable the pain that black men have caused in our society, mm. right? So both things have to be true at the exact same time. And I hope that I'm getting to some of that in the book. And again, the book is not solely you know, about black men. It is from my perspective. So black men, black women are interwoven in all of the narrative but you know it also is about you know like you said you know those let's say those five black men who caused that pain right and i think that that's really important like who caused that pain because that pain wasn't caused by black women primarily right like that pain was caused by society right like you know in the book i talk about myself when i was a kid i was molested for years um as a child and like what systemic impact that had on me in terms of my misogyny as a young person because I actually despised women but as a society we did not give a soft place to land for black a black boy who had been molested by a woman right Mm -hmm. like there was no place to land for that and so all of that pain just turned into rage so we have to be having all these nuanced conversations um to get us to a place of healing where we start hurting each other so true last minute um you know one of the things I I think about when you say we have to stop hurting each other is really just uh, checking in uh, and also getting therapy. Um, Can you talk about the need for just normalizing therapy and and not having men, you know, believe this lie that you just have to sort of quote man up and get over it or be tough and, you know, you can't cry that, you know, being a man is one specific thing. Yeah, I mean, therapy has been one of the most important things that's ever happened to me, not just myself as an individual, but, you know, my relationship with um, with my soon to be wife, you know, it's just been um, it, it, therapy allows you to do that thing I was talking about earlier and dialing back and peeling back the layers of this thing that we're all kind of drowning in. Right. Um, therapy allows you to take an actual honest look at what's going on. Um, and it's funny because I actually end the book with that. I, I end the book with the, the question of how do you feel? Um, and it's a, it's a poem about going to therapy. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that Black women are leading the charge. I actually just um, was on the podcast, Therapy for Black Girls, major love to them. Um, you know, and I think that Black men need to more broadly, you know, dive into that as well. Like Therapy for Black Men, the necessity of it, because you know, we're hurting. I think we're all hurting. And that's what it boils down to. How could we this, not be? Think about what's going on in the world. <laughs> it, you know, it, I mean, Juliana, it's like we started a conversation talking about patriarchy, but we couldn't even do that because of the shooting that just took right. place and all the other things, right? There's so much happening that you have to go to therapy. We have to, we have to be in community with each other in ways that help us heal, right? Like we have to. Cause there's so like, I, it's hard to expect, like, it's hard to expect you. Like, I'm like, Hey, all right, I'm coming here to talk about patriarchy blues. It's hard to expect you to even just focus on that. Cause you have to talk about Buffalo because it's right there and it's harming right. you and I in ways that are completely different and also the same. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, 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 it's a hard time, but I think work like this allows us to at least process it. And I'm, bi- I'm big on the processing. I think that's like my favorite word. 
Um, because I, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, my therapist said to me, oh, you can't process trauma in the middle of it. <laughs> you need to stop trying to wrap your mind around this pandemic. You just need to, you know, take one shoe, put one on, then the other one. Um, and do your routines um, and, and try to stay sane the best you can. That's all you can do because we're all living through a mass trauma, all of us at the same time. So if you're like, you know, feeling a little bit off, um, that's you're doing great. <laughs> like you're, you're right in, uh, in line with where you're supposed to be. I feel like that is quite healthy. Fred Joseph, thank you so much for being here. I'd love to have you back. Great to talk to you. Patriarchy Blues, Reflections on Manhood is the book. It is out right now and I highly recommend it thanks for listening to mornings with Zerlina check in for new episodes every weekday 